Well, first this morning, all over Ireland, there are thousands of people who act as carers for those who cannot care for themselves. In fact, an estimated 500,000 people in this country are family carers for others, saving the state an estimated 20 billion annually. Well, on Thursday, some of these incredible people were recognised at the annual Carer of the Year Awards. And I'm joined this morning by the National Carer of the Year, Colette O'Shea. Colette, good morning to you. Good morning, Marion. Thanks for having me on. I was honoured, I felt, because I could give you the award. It was great to it see you lovely. there. It was Were fantastic. you surprised? Absolutely. Astonished, yeah. Couldn't believe it. And does it mean a lot to you, Colette? It does mean a lot, yeah. It does. Yeah, it's just been a wonderful, wonderful experience. I think it's something we're going to remember for a long, long time to come. Okay, and you're here this morning with your husband and your three children. So let's go right back, Colette, to get your story. Where are you from and where you grew up? Well, I grew up in Lisnagrai and when I was 16, I went into town and uh, it was the St. Patrick's Day and it was in 1992 and this is where I met Kieran for the first time. He'd been in with his friends and uh, he was with a photographer from the Limerick Leader, a local paper, and he was taking pictures. So uh, he took some pictures and snaps of myself and my friends and uh, that's where it went from there. And to this day, we still have those pictures. So it's, it's kind of amazing having pictures from back then of the very first time we met. And uh, Kieran used to always say to his friends, he said, well, one day I'm going to marry Col. <laughs> and I was going, ah, yeah, you really said. He said, I did. He said, I always tell my friends that. So that was 31 years ago now. So um, we were together for, uh, 13 years before we got married. And then we got married. So we're married 14 years now. So uh, we were um, trying as well for kids for a long time, nearly eight years. And uh, I'd gone undiagnosed with endometriosis for uh, nearly 34 years. So I was toing and froing to doctors, not knowing what was wrong. But um, eventually we had a procedure done and uh, I managed to fall pregnant. And they said, if you want to have more kids, um, keep them close together, consecutive. And we were very lucky. We had two boys and then a little girl then. So our, our world and our life was perfect. Um, but then five years ago, um, Kieran, his, his behaviour started changing. And just, how old is Kieran? How old Kieran is 47 now, but he was 42 at the time when um, I first noticed a few changes. It was very gradual, you know, nothing that you kind of think, oh my God, there's something seriously wrong with this man. Um, it was behavioural changes. He was he started like hoarding things, you know, collecting things. Um, he worked in a company, a Curry's uh, PC World, for nearly 17 years. And I have to admit, like, he was one of the only people who never missed a day of work, obviously, oh. until he, he, came, he got sick. But um, he started bringing home like kindling sticks, sticks from like a skip. And uh, I thought it was quite strange at the time. I was going, what, what, what are you doing with all these sticks? And it wasn't just one carload. It was many carloads. And it was filling up the garage bit by bit. And I said, we've got enough junk we're trying to get rid of. We don't need more stuff. And I couldn't get rid of them. I said, can I just junk them into the skip? And he was going, no, no, I won't keep them. And I said, for what? And he said, uh, well, perhaps I'll build a, a treehouse for the kids. Now, we didn't even have like a tree that you could put, you know, the, the, the treehouse into. And he, in all fairness, he's never been particularly good at woodwork. <laughs> even building like a, a kind of a bird, bird table would be too much for him. But I said, sure, I guess I'll get rid of them. No, no. So that went on. And then the next thing then was computer parts, just broken computer parts. Uh, and I said again, I just thought he liked collecting mm-hmm. stuff and th- this stuff would end up under the bed and in the cupboards and fill up space. And again, he'd never do anything with it. It would just be there. And then we kind of slowly noticed then kind of um, repetitive sort of behaviours. Um, he would be charging his phone the whole time. If it was like about 80%, he'd be charging it and he'd be watching it go to 100%. 
And I thought, well, you know, does it really matter if it's 100? Mm. It seemed to matter a lot to him, you know. And then I suppose his personality with the kids and the, like, the rest of the family, he was kind of withdrawing into himself for a, a long time, kind of just wanting to be by himself on his phone the whole time, um, disappearing out of the room. Uh, I just thought he was disconnecting with us, that he just didn't want to be part of the family anymore. Maybe he'd fallen out of the love with the, the idea of family and kids. Mm. Um, and of course, I was gutted by this, thinking there's probably something wrong with our marriage. And I was almost thinking of like doing some marriage counselling. But I was kind of looking around going, you know, we haven't changed. It, it, it's Kieran that's changed. Nothing else has. But um, our focus was mainly then on my little lad. Um, he's got some chronic um, health issues himself. So my attention was around him for many years. So I kind of took my finger off the mark and what Kieran, you know, the behavioural issues that was going on with him. But um, then it kind of over, I say, the last two years, his voice started slurring. And it was mainly just in the evening time when he was tired. And I used to say to him, I said, can you hear your voice? And he could, he could never hear it. He said, I, I, I sound fine. I said, uh, maybe it's just tiredness in the evening time. I had a stressful day, you know. But then over time it got worse. And uh, then I think the pinnacle point of the whole thing was when um, we were, it was actually my daughter's seventh birthday. This has gone back, um, not this July, the July before in 2021. And we went to buy a birthday cake. Now, Kieran would have got paid, I suppose, four days beforehand. And uh, we went to pay for it and there was no money in his account. And this went on for a few months and I was saying, well, what's, what's happening? This is very strange, I said. And he said, oh, we're being scammed. I said, maybe the kids have taken the credit card and maybe they're spending it. I said, That's, that doesn't sound very realistic at all. Mm. I mean, the kids, they're good kids, like they wouldn't do that. So I was off down to the bank and I was uh, complaining. I said, there's money disappearing, only to find out that the money that we had saved over many years, it wouldn't have been a, a lot of money now, but it was money for like a college fund for education for the kids. Mm. And that had completely been wiped out. There was nothing left in it. And I'd say about four or five months of his wages gone. I was just going from person to person saying, look, can you give me a loan? I, I don't know what's going on. It was like living in the twilight zone because at, at this stage we had no diagnosis. So um, we managed to track it down anyway through bank statements. Usually now he would keep them to himself and I'd never get to see them. But we managed to get a hold of recent ones of his and I couldn't believe the the money was disappearing out of the bank account on, we'll say, any given day. It could have been 50, 50, 50, 70, 70, 70, 30, 40, huge amounts every single day. And I'd say probably over the space of maybe two, three months, the best part of maybe 13, 14,000 euro just blown. But um, we managed to track it down then. What it was, it was um, these, so I suppose, the scam sort of um, websites that you go on and you, you pay money to get a text back and... Obviously, they, they can target, I suppose, vulnerable people that, you know. Wow. And now we know now with the dementia, this is quite a common thing that they can spend money widely, you know. And the thing is, Kieran didn't even remember doing it because when I said to him, like I said, you realise what you've done. And as I said, this is before we knew he had dementia. And he just kind of looked at me and he laughed. And I thought, well, this is a very strange response mm -hmm. to this. So I suppose that was the point where we said, look, there's something seriously going wrong yeah. here. So we booked him in to see a neurologist and I remember the waiting list was very long on the, the, the public waiting list and we phoned the secretary said, look, we really, really need to get in and see the neurologist soon. I said, this man is changing before our eyes every few months. He's just changing more and more. So we managed to get an appointment quite soon. It was just after Christmas. It was in January, early January. And I remember going in and I had a seven or eight page uh, A4, uh, almost like a little a letter to mm -hmm. Dr. Bores, his name was. And uh, he read it to himself and then he looked at me and said, 
what do you think he has? And I thought, well, that's a strange question to ask. Mm-hmm. You know, you're the doctor. Mm-hmm. You tell us. And now I'd done a lot of research on his symptoms, a lot within a few months. And I said, I think it's frontotemporal dementia. And he nodded and he said, yes, it is, he said. But it's not just that. He said he has a movement disorder too, MND, motor neuron disease. And I was shocked. And I said, well, what's the prognosis? And he said, well, given that he's had symptoms for five years, generally it's between five to seven years after a diagnosis. So he said one and a half to two years. And I remember turning around to Kieran and I looked at him and I said, do you understand what's been said? Mm. This is this is huge. And he looked at me and he just smiled and he said, well, let's go and get a cup of coffee. That'd be nice, Carl. And um, it was just, he never, he doesn't grasp ever. If you ask Kieran how he is, the dementia affects him so much that he will say, I'm fine. I'm grand. You know, he, he's he's always smiling. He's always happy. In his head, he's in a, in a very good space, a very happy space. So he, I mean, the dementia has been a blessing and a curse. It's a curse for everyone who's around him, but uh, it's a blessing for him because it's bluntish, I suppose, what really he has. Because he'll tell people, well, I've just got a little bit of motor neuron in my chest, you'll say. Mm. Um, as I said, the dementia has overshadowed most of the, the motor neuron uh, symptoms. But in the last, I suppose, two years, as I said, the, the voice slurring and then... Um, it was uh, going from there. He had like cramps into his hands and um, into his uh, legs and across his stomach and chest. And now it affects his swallow um, a great deal now. He doesn't eat solid foods at the moment. He just, he, he almost lives on these, I think they call them pro-cal drinks and protein shots. But even then he's over a sink and he's literally coughing and choking nearly on it. So it's, it's, we're looking hopefully to get a peg feed put in um, rather sooner rather than later. So... That day, Carl, as he calls you. Yeah, lovely. that's his pet name. Yeah. Yeah. And he's outside with your children and he looks so he young is. and handsome. And he does. Tr- yeah, incredible. Yeah. But that day, your life changed. It did. Well, it, it was shocking, but it wasn't surprising mm-hmm. because it made sense of all the, the symptoms that we, we saw over the years. It just everything made sense. It fell into place and we went, oh, yeah, sure. That's That's why he was doing these things, you know. But yeah. you also found out, didn't you, Colette, at that time, which is an additional worry, I suppose, that this was a gene that was being passed down through the family. It was. Um, well, we didn't know at the time, but um, Kieran, I remember Kieran saying years ago that his grandfather on his father's side had um, motion neuron disease and it affected again the upper part of the body. And he died at 72. And then his own father had Parkinson's. Again, it's kind of an umbrella of the neurological conditions. And he died at 62, developing also dementia. And then Kieran was 42 when he started uh, developing symptoms. And uh, he got the blood gene test done in Beaumont uh, by a specialist there. And it's the, the C9 um, ORF72 um, mutation gene. I think there's 12 known genes that cause mm-hmm. this motor neuron and frontotemporal dementia. And he has it. And I remember asking, I said, well, what's the chance of like passing this on to the kids? And it's a, a 50-50. So it's not so much kind of like, uh, will it happen? It's kind of like when, you know, we just, you, know, get, you can get a blood test done, I think, when you're 18. But who'd really want to know uh, if you had this, especially when there's no cure? And, you know, I mean, he's on, Kieran's on tablets at the moment, really tech tablets. But even that, that would only give him an extra, I think, six months more. So it's not great. So hopefully in the future, there will be some sort of a, a cure or something to, to prolong life. This. 
And, you know, for my listeners, the reason you won the National Care of the Year Award this year is because not alone do you now full time mind your beautiful husband, Kieran. You mentioned your son earlier. He also... Tell me about him. Yeah, um, Luke is 11 and when Luke was six, he was diagnosed with um, Crohn's disease, but he has um, complex Crohn's disease, so he's got a lot of complications with it. And uh, quite recently, he was fitted with, uh, about eight months ago, with a stoma bag. So um, it's it's been huge. You know, he's having to get his head around um, all this and as well his dad, you know, which is devastating for them because over the years, Dad was the sort of person they would go to. Dad mm. would help with the homework. Mm. Dad would sit down and play with them. He was he was the main man, the you know the the, the good guy. Like so, it's a huge change for him because like it almost feels like a slow sort of grieving process we're going through, because we're kind of losing Kieran bit by bit, week by week. He's changing the whole time. So as I said, he used to do all these things with the kids. Now he has no interest. Uh, for a long time, he's had no interest now for the last mm. few years. Um, didn't even really want to be around them, didn't want to play games. They say, Dad, do you want to play this? And he just go, no. And there was never kind of any reason why mm. he didn't. It was just a no. So I, I used to almost think like, you know, I said, why do I feel like a, a single parent? But yet I'm not though, you know, it seems strange. And the kids used to say, but Dad, you, you, kind, of, you kind of feel like a, a bystander in this in this family. And they didn't know why, but they soon stopped going to him because they never got the, the reaction mm. back that they wanted. So mom was the go-to and mom was the one who sorted things out and the homework. So I'm, I was kind of used to it in a way of doing kind of everything. Like if there was like something needing doing in the house, if there was a lawny cutting, if there was hedging cutting or mm. things around the house, it was me. Or if something broke. Since he yeah. got ill, of course. Since he yeah. got ill. This is over the years, like yeah. this is before the diagnosis. So I, I, I'm kind of used to doing, taking these things on board myself, you know. But I think over the years of Kieran not being able to help me, he would be able to, I suppose, get up on a roof and do things that I wouldn't be able to do yeah. and patch up kind of any leaks. I've... I hate I hate heights. Like so, that's not me. So, but you know, you are an uplifting story because I'm sitting opposite you now. You're a beautiful looking woman. Yes, you know, at the awards during Thank the you. week, you look like something out of a stately home. You look amazing, <laughs> and yet you have huge because there's also huge financial pressures, aren't there? I mean, there is. Tell me about that. Well, the, <clears throat> the house we took over, it was my um, my family home. And uh, my mum died when I was, I was 20 and my dad died when I was 26. So um, it was just myself and my brother and my brother didn't want the house. So we bought him out part of the house mm. and uh, we've been living there since. Now, my dad had cancer for six years before he passed away and the house was slowly kind of running into yeah. disrepair. So when we took it on, it was it was obviously a big thing. And the years went by and Kieran was also on, I suppose, quite a low wage for his job. So we never really got much of a chance to do much. But we kept our head above water and mm. we <clears throat> got on with it. But it's just since his diagnosis <clears throat> as well and for the last five years since the symptoms he just hasn't been able to do anything and the house has run more and more into disrepair. So there's major issues with the house. Um, there's major issues with the roof, with the, 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 the drainage, the sewerage and, and generally everything in the house. You know, There's a lot of water that gets in and under the house and there's rotted floorboards and it's a bit of a nightmare, yeah. But you have been smiling since I met you this week. <laughs> you came in here to RT with Karen and your three gorgeous children this morning. So... What is your day like? Like what? Tell, tell me about an average day for you. Claire. An average day. Well, everything, as I said, falls on my shoulders. So I'll get up and um, I'll get the kids up. So it'll be seven o'clock up in the morning, get the kids out off to school. 
And then it's looking after Kieran the whole time. As I said, Kieran <clears throat> can't be left on his own, not even for a minute. Um, he has to be always kind of either with myself or the kids. So everywhere we go, someone has to be with him. Um, as I said, it's just it's the type of dementia he has. It's a behavioural variant, <clears throat> so he'll often act quite inappropriately towards um, generally women. <laughs> tends to be, and uh, we've ran into a lot of trouble over over the last few years, uh, where he'll either look at someone the wrong way or say something that you shouldn't say. And people have approached us, and some some have been quite nice when, and understandable when you know as you understanding explain. when I explain that he has dementia. But we have had a few occasions where they basically wanted to dig Kieran's head in, and they didn't mind saying mm-hmm. it. Him. So we felt quite threatened, I suppose, you know. So we're just very overprotective about him. It's like Kieran has gone, I said, from this loving, loving guy who was like fun to, to be around. Yeah. And we used to have lovely conversations in the past and sit down and talk about work and talk about the kids and just spend hours chatting. But over the years, the conversations got shorter and shorter. And now it'll just be kind of one kind of word answers to things. And you don't even kind of know if he's getting it, if he's understanding what you're saying. You know, you could tell him something and he'll smile. And even yesterday with the awards, I said, this mm. is fantastic. And he was kind of smiling because I was smiling. So he thought it should be something to smile about. But I don't know whether he even got, you know, what it's all about. But, um, and yeah. obviously you can't work either. He can't no. work as he's ill. No. You can't work because you have to mind him. Well, I he had to mm. give up work. Um, mm. As I said, he's been working, he was working for the company for nearly 17 years. And it was almost like a second family to him mm. there. And they were very, very sorry to see him go. We went kind of like, uh, we had to, you know, let him go because um, just the specialist was saying to us, just the dementia in case he runs into trouble with saying something to one of the customers, you know, that he shouldn't say. But um, yeah, so it was a big, big change. As the, a few months ago, he had to give up work and give up driving. So it was massive. I don't actually even drive myself. So it's just been huge. We've been very lucky with the school. The kids um, are going to, they've arranged like a, a bus service with um, um, with a crash that's up the way, Wilmot crash. And they've been wonderful too. And just getting the kids to and from school. He doesn't want respite, sure he doesn't. He he, no. he loves his home. He loves being at yeah. home. He loves his own bed and, and I respect that. And, you know, I wouldn't want it any other way. You know, it's just, I'm very sensitive to his feelings. And, you know, he, day services, definitely. We'd be interested in something like that for him, you know, because since he gave up work, it's almost like a routine type thing that he had. So now he kind of doesn't know what to do with himself during the day. So he'll often spend most of the day, if I'm kind of working around the kitchen or doing what I'm doing, he's right there next to me, <laughs> over my shoulder, just, you know, being there. And is it, does he, he wakes you sometimes a lot as well, maybe at about two in the morning? He does, he does. He's on a lot of meds. Um, they, they have him on medicines for the muscle cramps, but also for, for sleeping, um, sleeping pills as well. But they don't always work, so he'll often wake up at two o'clock in the morning, open all the curtains and say, wakey, wakey, kids, time to get up. And I go, no, Kieran, please go back to bed. But of course, then when he's up, he's up and he'll, he'll often go off downstairs and the telly be on nice and loud and, and keeping everyone awake. So that's it. Like I, I then at two o'clock, I'd have to get up and stay up. And, you know, because you couldn't leave him down there by himself because you wouldn't know what he'd get up to, you know. Finally, what keeps you? Look, as I gave that statistic at the beginning of interviewing you, 500,000 people are carers in this country, but your life is particularly tough because it's all about minding your husband and your son. Do you get time for yourself? And I don't. How do you? You don't. I don't. I don't get any time. No time at all. Not for many years now. I've got no time. But I mean, see, I love love my family and I don't see myself doing anything exceptional. Do you get down about that? 
No, I don't. See, the thing mm-hmm. is, I'm a very positive person. You know, I mean, I always, that. I always kind of think, well, you know, maybe things will improve for us. You know, I know with Kieran, you know, nothing can, but, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that things will get better. Well, look, Colette O'Shea, it's been a privilege to meet you. You're an incredible woman. And Thank as you, I Mary. say, your, your husband and your three children are outside the studio and they look so happy. And that's a tribute to you. Thank you so much. And congrats on being the National Family Care of the Year. Thank you. And if you would like to help Colette and her family, look, they've set up a GoFundMe account to try to help fix their home and adapt it for Kieran's needs. And the GoFundMe page is called Help Kieran O'Shea. And we're going to leave a link on our webpage. Thanks so much. We'll take a break.